we want to be people who are full of grace and truth because we want to model Jesus. And Jesus, according to John, was full of grace and truth. It's about finding freedom for the sake of turning around and pouring that out in the kingdom of God and in the lives of other people who are wrestling or struggling. I continue to be shocked at how many Christian counselors don't even use spiritual interventions. Somehow I think the church has kind of a knee-jerk, almost a, um, a bashful perspective around some of these issues because they don't necessarily feel like it's good news for the LGBT community, but it's awesome news for anybody struggling with sexual sin or relational brokenness. Mm -hmm. And I think related to that is the idea that um, who am I to judge another person because I'm a sinner too. Hi, my name is Gary Ingram, and this is also Melissa Ingram with me, and we are co-founders of Love and Truth Network. This is a ministry that we founded back in 2013. We're going on 10 years of ministry. It's hard to believe. And we are finally uh, believing that, feeling like for a while now that God has wanted us to get a podcast mm -hmm. launched. I know everybody and their brother has a podcast out there these days, but we do feel like there are some unique things that um, God has for us. Uh, to share um, in the areas of ministry that we operate in, in uh, restoring relational and sexual wholeness within the church, equipping Christian leaders on effective ways of, of doing just that. So, uh, Melissa, yeah, I'd love to um, just have you share a little bit with uh, our audience on, uh, on a little bit of who you are and, um, and also just some of the kind of beginning stages of getting Love and Truth Network started. Um, uh, you were a, a pastor's wife. Uh, I was a pastor for 12 years and uh, we got married at uh, one point, uh, you know, during that time. And um, what are your thoughts about just starting up a ministry, starting up a nonprofit and kind of the years that have followed? Yeah, well, I'm really excited, um, Gary, to be here and to be talking about our podcast. I think it's a really timely um, an effective way to reach more people. And in my opinion, Love and Truth Network was created for such a time as this. Uh, when we look at the culture and the world around us and really the state of the church regarding sexual and relational issues and brokenness, um, I believe that we are uniquely, in a sense, poised to really equip the church to help um, its members deal with their issues and to create an environment where we can invite other people into that. And, you know, when I uh, obviously I met you at a conference that was really equipping leaders um, to minister in this area. And so from the very beginning, you and I had a shared kind of, uh, I believe, a call from God to minister in this area. And so, of course, that's that was very exciting. But then moving from outside of Washington, D.C. to upstate New York, where you lived, um, that was a bit daunting. But it was amazing how 
um, we kind of hit the ground running, even though it would take uh, several more years to form Love and Truth Network. Um, it seemed like pretty quickly uh, we were being invited to to speak at different churches. We were being offered um, to teach different Sunday school classes. And um, we had a friend who, uh, well, she wasn't a friend at the time, but a social worker drop off information. Um, and that led to, you know, kind of forming our friends and family group. And uh, and then the church that you were on staff with that we were a part of where we got married. I mean, they were very, very supportive of us. And um, so it really was when there was a change in leadership and, you know, and really the, just the priorities uh, became different um, for the church. And meanwhile, the demand was still growing for for us to be able to speak and, and educate and equip. So that's when you really felt like, hey, um, I'm not really going to be able to continue focusing on this part time. It really needs a full time endeavor. And so that's when we um, we started talking about, you know, launching Love and Truth Network as its own, you know, not for profit. And I don't know if this is what you wanted me to share, but at one point after you left the church where you were pastoring, you had been offered or were interviewing for a job at kind of a regional ministry where we were living. And you were tempted to take that job. And this might be off topic, but because it had, it had benefits, it was a great, yeah, great ministry. Yeah. They yeah. were it was a great willing ministry. to, uh, one you know, of the it had benefits, country, yeah. which was something we were worried about um, at the time with a young family. And, um, and I said, oh, no, <laughs> I said, that's not where God's called you to be. You know, like, like our influence is supposed to be bigger. It's supposed to be larger, not because of mm -hmm. us, but because of um, really where God's called us to be. And um, so that's just my thoughts on Love and Truth Network and its origins, if you will. Well, part of what you're sharing also really brings to mind uh, something I often share when I'm speaking or teaching, uh, I, you do too, and I know you have the same heart, is that there really isn't anything that we have that we haven't been given. Um, and I want to talk with you in a little bit just about your, your counseling background, and uh, obviously educationally you worked hard for your degree, but in terms of um, so much of what uh, we offer in ministry and, and what we teach about what, uh, the way that we kind of, you know, model our family and, um, and the different, uh, approaches we take to ministry. So much of that, nearly all of it has been given to us through, uh, the people that have poured into our lives, the various people. I mean, there are some key people who have poured into our lives. And so just, that just kind of underscores when you say, you know, it's really, it's not about us. It isn't because, you know, God has chosen to um, to just pour richly into us. And of course, uh, there is a responsibility that we have mm -hmm. in terms of not just um, finding our freedom for our own freedom's sake, finding freedom for my sake or just our family's sake. But it's about finding freedom for the sake of turning around and pouring that out in the kingdom of God and in the lives of other people who are wrestling or struggling. And so that mm -hmm. really is the foundation um, that we we try to operate from. And frankly, it's also a very good thing for us to be 
uh, remembering and speaking about because um, it isn't all about us. And uh, it isn't about, you know, these great, brilliant ideas that we've come up with. We just have uh, been uh, the the recipients of some great and wonderful ideas that God has poured out into our lives through generous others over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, you kind of touched on this a moment ago, but when God is generous in pouring out through others, we do have a responsibility, don't we, to respond. And, and, and so it was because of God meeting me generously through um, many different settings, but in, at a conference, for example, that I was able to hear his call to ministry um, or actually to help people and to start a ministry where there wasn't one. But then I had a responsibility to, in my, in my instance, really feel like I needed some education to do that. So, and also continue my own healing process, which I think is foundational. Yes. Well, and you mentioned the, um, uh, you know, where we met, uh, of course we met at a desert stream, uh, living waters training mm-hmm. back in 2004. And I had already been, um, uh, attending the annual summer conferences for Exodus international. You would, you would also, I think been, uh, at some of those too. And, uh, there were just a number of, of ministries, uh, regional ministries. You were, you were involved in a regional ministry, in the in the DC northern D, uh, northern Virginia DC area, and um, and that same ministry had also been a benefit to me. Uh, I know also obviously that in you know some people even maybe hearing what we're sharing right now and they hear me um, say Exodus International, they, there may be a, a, a negative connotation that that comes to mind for them because Exodus has been um, really um you know there's a lot of revisionist history about what exodus originally was and for so many of us the truth is um for i've had hundreds of conversations with people over the probably 10 years that i was involved there uh when it was still a solid um biblically based uh loving organization and um it was a lifeline mm-hmm. for for so many of us it was a lifeline for everyone that i knew and um and and that was also a place that where you and I our relationship was forged um even more deeply uh during one mm-hmm. of those summer conferences. So Exodus has a huge place in our life. Mm-hmm. And I think about even I mean you were you were even on the board of Exodus for several years. Um I was the Northeast Regional Coordinator and of course when Exodus um really took a turn uh away from uh, a, a very sharp turn away from its um, uh, founding origins and its biblical principles uh, to go off in a completely different direction uh, before it ultimately closed. There were a number of, of ministries that had to leave mm-hmm. Exodus because it no longer represented us. And, um, and of course, Restored Hope Network was formed out of that as well. So I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm mentioning a few different ministries because I think it's relevant. One of the things that you and I believe strongly in is um, is collaboration. Absolutely, uh, we don't want to reinvent the wheel, and we want to make sure that really solid organizations um, that that people are aware of them, that churches are aware, that strugglers are aware, that there are organizations out there that um, that love Jesus and are willing to speak uh, truth in love, and and not be um, ashamed by the you know cancel culture that we're currently living in. Uh, we are going to choose to follow Christ instead of um, 
surrendering to the will of of men that don't believe in Jesus or uh, want to keep us silent. And so there are some great organizations out there like Exodus, uh, well, not Exodus, but like um, Restored Hope Network and uh, Desert Stream Ministries Living Waters. I think that's a great segue into how Love and Truth Network is different. How are we the same as maybe Restored Hope Network and some of their member ministries? And how are we different? Um, So a lot of um, ministries that address sexual and relational brokenness primarily offer support for those who are struggling, whether that's with, you know, same-sex attraction that's unwanted or um, sex addiction, whether that's homosexual or heterosexual, promiscuity, the effects of of sexual abuse. Um, So many of the the ministries that that are uh, involved with um, helping those do just that, they help. Uh, help strugglers and also parents or family and friends of those who are struggling with with some form of sexual or relational brokenness. So we do that at Love and Truth Network um, as a professional counselor. Um, sometimes I get referrals for uh, individual counseling or couples counseling, um, and certainly that's a way that we support um, support them. Uh, we also offer Living Waters, which is a support program. Um, it's one of the best. But I think, and I think it's important to say that Love and Truth Network is unique from a lot of other ministries in that you are uh, majorly focused on equipping um, church leaders and Christian leaders um, to develop environments of transformation. Um so that those who are struggling can experience uh, freedom and and hope and and change, whatever that looks like. So I think the the focus on equipping leaders and and using the combination of your pastoral experience uh, is really unique for Love and Truth Network. So I just want to toot, you know, kind of our horn a little bit. And, um, and I also think (laughs) that that ties in with, um, yeah, the reality that I do bring the professional counseling side, um, to the equation. And Mm -hmm. so while, you know, at the end of the day, we don't have anything that we haven't been given. That's so true. God is so faithful. And yet I feel like, Mm -hmm. um, really over the 20 years that I've been involved in this kind of ministry as a participant and, and as a helper. Um, and you have just about the same amount of experience. Um, I feel like that's yeah. a lot of experience that we bring um, mm-hmm. to uh, leaders in particular, but also strugglers um, that, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's pretty unique. Um, the longevity of, ministry and um yeah and just our our experience being around some of these other ministries even well in in a lot of the other ministries a lot of ministries that are out there that we just feel so highly um toward and really love partnering with for many of them and, and we need more uh uh ministries doing similar work around the country but for so many of them it they're um what god has called them to 
is to work alongside strugglers, uh, whatever that may look like. That may look like heterosexual porn addiction. It might look like um, adultery issues. It might look like emotional dependency. It might look like same-sex attraction or, um, you know, being at odds with my gender or uh, gender dysphoria, whatever. I mean, any, any kind of any number of things. Uh, in in that track, uh, and and like I said, we need more ministries that are well equipped and and uh, and really operate um, in both truth and and great compassion. Uh, but for most of those ministries that I'm aware of, for most of those ministries, they have a an emphasis on helping the individual, and then on occasion, um, a church might ask somebody to come and speak in their Sunday school class, or may ask maybe even to come and speak in front of the whole church, and and they will do that. But for us, it's actually the emphasis is really in the reverse. The emphasis for us is we believe that we can have a much, much greater impact in um, in helping individuals if we can help equip the environments of their church to be far more transformational and, and transparent, more vulnerable. Uh, and again, and this is about I've heard the phrase one of our former pastors used to say uh, that when the tide comes in, all the boats rise. And and so when um when the a church grows in its capacity to help those in sexual brokenness or to help those in a particular area of sexual brokenness, the truth is if that's done well, mm-hmm. then actually everybody in the church benefits from it. All the boats rise. The church becomes um, simply a safer place. It becomes uh, a more, um, and we're not just looking for safety, like coddling people in, in sin or their struggles. We want to be really generous and compassionate, but we also want to see transformation mm-hmm. happen. And, and we're not the ones that make transformation happen. We just help, um, uh, we're, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, to, to, to kind of navigate some of the environment to make it safe, to help it become safe. But it's the Holy Spirit, of course, that's really um, making the change happen in people's lives. But he, he chooses to do that so often within the context of the church. Um, that's where, like when we read in James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous man mm-hmm. accomplishes much. And um, and so I, I know that there's a lot of alignment, obviously, as husband and wife. There's a, I guess, it, I guess that's not always so obvious, but there is alignment between us around philosophy of ministry. I have huge respect for what you, uh, for uh, what you have both learned and how you practice um, in, in your arena of counseling, what I know of that. Um, but how would you, um, Han, describe, um, maybe your philosophy of ministry, um, versus, and there's probably some crossover, but how do you see philosophy of ministry as being distinctive from philosophy of, of your counseling? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So thank you. That's a great question. Um, well, I think for us and for me as a a Christ follower, um, Jesus and following him uh, wholeheartedly and obediently is always at the center of both ministry and counseling for me. Um, The difference is, is that in ministry, usually uh, the person coming for help is also um, wanting that, wanting Jesus to be at the center, and they're blocked or they're in conflict in some way. Um, And so in ministry, uh, there is more flexibility to be, um, uh, in terms of the boundaries around 
um, how much time we spend together in terms of even um, getting together with that person outside of the office. Um, sure. You know, in terms of some of the boundaries, um, there's more flexibility. But what I would also say is that because I've seen the impact of putting Christ at the center and specifically doing that through listening prayer, and we can get into that if we want, um, listening prayer actually has become a big part of my counseling practice. And so in terms of my philosophy of counseling, um, and this is true for ministry as well, first, I want to meet the client where they're at. Um, I want to hear how did they come to where they are right now when, when they're coming to see me? What's happened in their life? What other kind of help have they received? And, you know, depending on what they're coming with, how did they they come to figure that out? Like, why did they decide X, Y, or Z? Mm -hmm. um, but then with counseling in particular, there are stronger boundaries um, in place in terms of really not forming um, any kind of relationship with the client outside of the office. Uh, there's also, um, you know, parameters around confidentiality and certain things that I would be required to report. And so there's just a lot of um, um, things to go over at the beginning. Uh, but at the same time, mm -hmm. and this is why, you know, last year I formed my own practice, my own private practice, um, is because I really felt like for Christian clients who were looking to grow in their relationship with God, that um, it was okay to use Christian interventions uh, when appropriate. And, um, and I'm just shocked. I continue to be shocked at how many Christian counselors don't even use spiritual interventions. Um, so they may talk right. on occasion about spiritual things, but, but they're not actually helping a client work through things like forgiveness or processing traumatic memories or things like that. And so even as I've gone on to get training in other, um, you know, for example, EMDR therapy, which is a trauma reprocessing therapy, um, I'm always looking for ways that, uh, that I can incorporate listening prayer and helping the client meet God in the midst of their pain and, and their struggle. So, um, so there really is a lot of crossover. Um, but yeah, as a counselor, and sometimes that's really hard, honestly, like, and you and I have had those conversations sometimes where as more of a, a coaching, you know, in a coaching meeting, for example, you're really able to kind of say things as they are, right? You're really able to speak more directly to clients or to your uh, mentor, mentees. Mm -hmm. um, whereas because I want to main, and of course you do too, but maintain that client, the client's sense of safety, sense of well-being, their trust sure. in me, then um, sometimes I have to be a little more indirect in how I maybe confront resistance or um, whatever it is that they're doing. So. Yeah. Well, as you were sharing a moment ago, it was, it, I was just reminded of 
of, uh, you know, what Jesus is going to be called. And one of the things that he's called is wonderful counselor. Mm. Right. And, and I think that you really, um, try to embody that when, um, not in any way, um, imposing, uh, Christian viewpoints, but where you're already working with a Christian or someone who's open and, and desiring, um, uh, spiritual intervention from a Christian worldview perspective, um, that, uh, you know, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, you know, just like he's the great shepherd and every other pastor, no matter how famous Billy Graham or any of that is, uh, is an under shepherd, you know, under his authority. And, and so there's, there is no one better, um, to counsel, uh, mm-hmm. than, than really being in the flow of, of his direction or the direction of the Holy spirit. Um, so I think, you know, one of the things, and this isn't in any way to denigrate anyone, but I think there are a number of Christian counselors who um, who promote themselves as Christian counselors, and and in some ways they they're they're really Christians who counsel um, rather than being truly Christian counselors in the in the manner in which they counsel or the the what they're equipped with to be able to offer to clients who desire that kind of support. Mm-hmm. Is that a fair, a fairly fair assessment? Yes. And okay. I will say okay. in many counselors' yeah. defense that they have not only not received any education or instruction on how to assess and right. integrate spirituality, but they've actually been um, threatened, especially Christian counselors, in their graduate programs yes. I mean, they have been told in no uncertain terms that you can't bring up anything about anything (laughs) in terms of Christianity, which is right. Okay. Like if you don't know where a client is coming from, you can assess for spirituality. That is part of a holistic assessment because you need to know if they believe in something, even if it's not God. Right. Maybe it's right. Allah, maybe it's Buddha, maybe it's yeah. who knows what. And so but most especially Christians who even are coming out of Christian graduate programs, they are being told that even simply to to talk about a Christian worldview is imposing their values on the client. And mm-hmm. and I think it's delicate. It's a delicate yeah. situation, but I think we're actually doing our, our clients sure. a disservice. So that's actually why I'm I was so excited when I was at Arizona Christian University as the director of their counseling center. That was the first time I really took on a clinical supervisor role. And I learned a lot. And one of the things mm-hmm. I learned is what I just told you, which is that these Christian uh, counselors were coming out, coming into their internships out of Christian graduate programs, not understanding that it was totally appropriate for them to talk with their clients about spirituality. And with Christian clients who were looking for Christian counseling, you're allowed with to talk about different and to use different interventions as long as as they're comfortable and they give you permission. And you can stop at any time. I mean, that's true yeah, of any right. good counseling. So that really, mm-hmm. um, uh, frankly, lit a fire under my butt to uh, when I formed my own practice to say, I think this is really where I want to focus in terms of clinical supervision is for um, new, mm-hmm. new, newly 
they're called associate counselors, like licensed associate counselors who have to do a certain number of hours um, of practice under clinical supervision. For those that want to be Christian counselors, then I want to help equip them with uh, interventions that are mm. are helpful, you know, that have been helpful to clients. Um, yep. So. Well, and part of what I'm thinking of as you're talking as well is, um, is it seems to me that more and more, especially when it comes to Christianity, it seems like more and more there's um, an encroaching upon us as Christians in general, you know, living in the cancel culture uh, that is so anti-God, so anti-Christian. Uh, this is, you know, obviously true, certainly true that um, it feels like we're getting, you know, more and more kind of pressed back into the four walls of our home or the four walls of our church and and told that we can live out our faith and speak what we want to there. But that's that's kind of the, the limit of it. And of course, that that really takes away the ability to live our faith, to live um, as as a Christian. And I certainly see it happening um, not only from some conversations you and I've had, but as I as I, you know, read um, various publications that are talking about some of the some of the issues happening within um, the mental health field. And it has been now for some time. It seems like um, what's happening is under the guise of safety, under the guise of, oh, we want to protect you uh, to to the, the, the client or the potential client. It seems as though there are um, either uh, laws or so-called ethics being applied that do not just infringe upon the the rights of the of the counselor, but it's really preventing um, the right of self determination in many cases of the of the client. Um, if if you agree to to that, I mean, if you feel like that's true, could you kind of speak to that from your perspective? Well, that's certainly true. Um, that uh, every um, Every communication from my professional counseling organization is focused on, um, it seems like, diversity and inclusion, except for client, Christian, <laughs> Christian clients, Christian counselors. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so not only are they hamstringing, if you will, counselors, from um, uh, and it's not even about expressing what we believe because a counselor's job is not to express what we believe, but it's hamstringing yep. a counselor's right. ability to help clients with what they're saying they want. And that's huge because I do believe in a client's right to self-determination for the client to decide what kind of counseling they want, what kind of counseling they don't want, and um, and who they want to to go to. And and there are many yes. laws and and every year more being proposed, whether that's at the federal level or the state level or even county level. Um, and you and I experienced that last year. Um, that mm -hmm. uh yeah, these laws are trying to be passed that are basically making certain kinds of counseling. And basically it's Christian. It's either Christian counseling or even pastoral counseling that um, yeah. would would say that um, 
you know, it's okay for a client who, let's say, has unwanted same-sex attraction or who is experiencing a conflict in their gender identity and would like some help. I mean, they're basically trying to take that off the table entirely. And they leave a client with basically, this is who you are. And so let's help you accept that. Um, So you're basically telling the client they only have one option, which is kind of antithetical to the, to the idea of counseling in the first place. That's what's so crazy about it. Right. Right. Oh, it's true. I, um, you know, I think back on what happened to me when I was five or six and the early pornography exposure by some older neighborhood boys and then their sexual behavior together. And, and to whatever degree I know I, I was there for it. I don't remember now at all. It just, my, my memory goes black there. Uh, what happened or to whatever degree they involved me in that, but the sexual abuse that happened, um, even to me being present for what they were doing was, was really horrendous. And, uh, and I've talked to other people, um, over the years who have experienced, uh, sexual abuse as well. And, uh, and, and sexual abuse is a, a very severe issue, both, you know, outside the church and even within the church. Um, and, uh, but I've, I've talked to some people from the perspective of counseling, uh, when they're dealing with same sex attraction. And I just, I think that it's so tragic. And I don't think a lot of people who support, um, like, you know, therapy bans, talk therapy, basically. Uh, and, and I don't think they're really thinking about, um, I think good people are motivated to not see people harmed or shamed or, um, you know, obviously go through electro electroshock therapy, which of course is not happening these days at all. Um, but, but they're motivated to, to not to see people, um, unharmed, uh, which is a good motivation. Mm-hmm. But we're not thinking oftentimes about the people who have a desire, like as a man or as a woman, I have a desire to have a natural family one day. I have a desire to, whether it's a faith issue or it's not a faith issue, but it simply aligns with my goals for myself. But I feel like I'm hitting a roadblock because I'm dealing with unwanted same-sex attraction or I'm dealing with some severe, <coughs> pardon me, some severe gender dysphoria or whatever the case is. Um and, uh, or, or maybe it's pornography addiction. And I know that's going to affect me. It may be heterosexual pornography addiction, but I don't want to bring that into my marriage. Why is it that a person who's dealing with heterosexual pornography addiction can go to a counselor and talk directly about that and receive direct support over that and, and help and care for that. But a person who's been sexually abused and they know that some of their, maybe a significant part, not all of it, but a significant part of their same sex attraction or gender dysphoria is connected to the abuse that happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was once, maybe it was routine, maybe it was severe, whatever the issue. Um, why should they not be able to make a choice uh, to work on what they desire to with somebody who's competent and trained to without that person, that counselor being threatened um, uh, by, you know, uh, getting slapped with um, some kind of unethical behavior or even worse, um, you know, breaking the law. Uh, as it would be in Canada right now and, and would be in some cases in, in parts of our country where somebody under the age of 18, 18 or younger, um, or sorry, under the age of 18, couldn't go and receive support according to their own right of self-determination. I just think that when you think about abuse happening, um, it, it's a pretty awful thing to kind of re-victimize the victim and say, well, basically, um, I can't tell you anything. 
to help you in alignment with your desire to find some resolution here. All I can do or all anyone can do because of the laws that have been passed is to tell you that the only thing you can be is gay Mm -hmm. or trans or whatever the case. I know. I mean, I know I went kind of blabbering on about that, but what do you what do you feel about that as a as a licensed counselor? Yes. Well, I I mean, I think you're right. I think that is actually revictimizing to the victim because you're taking away their ability to choose. You're taking away their voice and yeah. you're leaving them with no other option but to pursue something that's against what they're stating is their own values and beliefs. So it's definitely a violation of, um, you know, even a religious freedom issue. So I think all we can do, and I think that's, again, a good reason for the podcast. I think it's a good reason for our ministry is, and you and I talk about this too, and we talk about it with a lot of churches. A lot of churches want to be full of truth and love. And they want to be um, uh, helping their congregation and even their neighbors um, to deal with these issues forthrightly. And and so I think our job at Love and Truth Network is to equip uh, pastors and leaders and counselors even to to know how to express what they believe in a way that is balanced, but truthful. Um, and also to, uh, I think we need to band together. Like, I think we need to um, stop, in a sense, cowering in the shadows because it has gotten pretty scary, right? Scary out there. I mean, there have been right. churches uh, that have been, you know, attacked or sued or any other number of things. Certainly there have been counselors that have done that. And it really is, um, they're trying to intimidate us, to intimidate the church, to stay silent. And we've stayed silent long enough. So I just want to reiterate, I think that's why Love and Truth Network is really, you know, kind of poised for such a time as this, is to really, um, yeah, say, hey, you're not alone. Uh, We need to stand together and we need to have a unified message that is full of love and truth. So, um, yeah, I just think that's why, that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was just having a conversation with somebody, actually an earlier conversation today, and then a couple of conversations yesterday with pastors. And one of the things I was reiterating is I think, um, in this isn't in every case, I think in some cases people are aware of what they're, of what they're doing. Um, and making a choice in it. But I think many times um, within the evangelical church, within the Orthodox uh, church, that many of us feel like, and some of us are conscious of it, and many of us are unconscious, I think, feeling like, okay, I I agree with what the Bible teaches. I believe it's the inspired word of God. I believe that um, marriage was designed by God for one man and one woman within covenant marriage relationship for life. Um, and every, anything outside of that is missing the mark. Anything outside of that is sin. And so I, I believe what the Bible teaches about homosexuality, et cetera. Um, but I, but I think part of the struggle that, that the church is having is that they understand that's true, but they don't necessarily believe it's very loving. Mm. And I think one of the things that we get to do is once you come out of the LGBT community and know so many others, hundreds of others who have as well, uh, with a variety of issues and struggles is the truth is the message of the gospel 
And the truth of scripture is actually the most loving message available to mankind. It is, um, it is a message from the Lord that if we follow his, his precepts, if we follow mm-hmm. his direction, if we follow his commands, um, it, it causes us to thrive. It causes us to, um, uh, for our lives to have real meaning, to have real purpose. It causes us to turn kind of our gaze away from our own navel and away from ourselves to those that are outside of ourselves, whether it's whether we are single or we ha- or, or we're married and have family. Um, it's there. Everything about the scriptures um, lead us into life. And when we start watering down the scriptures, we start approaching the scriptures like it's a buffet that we get to choose what we what we like and what we don't like and just kind of leave the stuff that we don't. We're really missing the fullness of the gospel and the fullness of the life that that God not ha- not only has for us, but for those that we're leading as pastors. And so I think it's really um, incumbent on pastors to recognize the reality of, you said it earlier, Jesus, we, we want to be people who are full of grace and truth because we want to model Jesus. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, according to John, was full of grace and truth. And, um, and so we need to practice that not by minimizing truth, but by really holding truth and um, and love, truth and grace in in combination with one another, in concert with one another. So somehow I think the church has kind of a knee jerk, almost a, um, a bashful perspective around some of these issues because they don't necessarily feel like it's good news for the LGBT community, but it's awesome news for anybody struggling with sexual sin or relational brokenness. Mm-hmm. And I think related to that is the idea that um, who am I to judge another person? Because I'm a sinner too. And so I know we see that a lot, you know, on our, when we have applications go out for our living waters program, we always ask people how, what, what's their position on homosexuality just because we want to know. And, uh, very common answer is, um, you know, I believe the Bible, exactly what you just said, yet, and then and or but, I don't want to judge, you know, it's not fair for me to judge, you know, anyone who's dealing with that because I'm, a, you know, because I'm not perfect. And you and I often talk about right. the reality that, yes, we all struggle with sin. But in order to follow Christ, Mm -hmm. we need to, um, you know, basically crucify ourselves, um, take up our cross daily and follow Jesus, which means not um, not identifying with our sin and not um, not saying that, oh, just because everybody struggles, then God doesn't mind if I actively live out a certain way. And um, so I think that's important that. We make a difference, a differentiation between the reality that we all um, struggle uh, with sin uh, versus um, someone who's claiming to follow Christ and yet they're actively living um, a lifestyle that, uh, a life or living in a pattern of relating that the Bible calls sin. That's a big difference. And um, and so right. it's okay to, um, to uphold a biblical standard, um, in that instance and that actually be loving. Um, 
And of course, no one is one, hardly anyone is one um, into the kingdom of God uh, by an argument or by someone, you know, kind of hitting them over the head with scripture. So right. if, if it's if that's all there is without a relationship where the person actually cares and feels like they're cared for, then, um, yeah, that's not going to be very effective. But again, it's that balance of love and truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it's Peter that writes about um, referring to those um, who have known God but and who have a form of godliness but deny its power. And I think that there are many in the church, and I, I, I lived this for years, um, but there are many in the church who um, do have a form of godliness. They might have grown up with it. They, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's kind of a cultural Christianity. Um, and yet there's a denial of the power. There's a there's a, um, you know, all kinds of excuses made, maybe not even for giving ourselves over to patterns of sin, but even the idea that, well, we all struggle with sin. And so therefore it's not that big of a deal. And you, you said that as well. But I think when, when we truly are followers of Christ and we're, um, we're walking in the spirit, we recognize that, you know, sin, sin leads to death. Mm-hmm. You know, sin is, there's no sin that isn't really a big deal. Um, there's, there's ones who have, they have greater consequences than others, certainly, but the idea that I want, I want to be as free as I can. And of course, Hebrews speaks to the idea of, um, laying aside every entanglement, everything mm-hmm. that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance, the race that has been put before us. And so the idea of the, of the true follower of Christ, the authentic believer is that, um, I want to press on. I, I, I want to, even in these areas where I'm not bound by sin, I want to continue to get more free and I want to continue to get more free so that I can be more available mm-hmm. and more empowered to, um, uh, to be about kingdom things, about eternal things. And so that my life takes on more meaning and more purpose and, and can, can even be more broken open for others to benefit from. So, yeah, I mean, I just, um, I appreciate, obviously, I enjoy the conversations you and, ha- you and I have outside of our podcast, but um, I think this is helpful just for people to get a sense of um, kind of who we are as, um, uh, you know, a little bit as a couple, but mostly uh, you as a licensed uh, counselor and ministry leader, me as a ministry leader, former pastor, uh, and just getting a little bit of a sense of who we are as a ministry and kind of where we're focused and, and, and kind of our philosophy um, of ministry as well. So. Thanks for sharing, hon. Thank you so much for joining us for this Love and Truth Network podcast. To listen to or watch future episodes, please check us out at loveandtruthnetwork.com forward slash podcast. Also, you can subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and we look forward to seeing you in a future episode.